Well, everyone has braved the weather. I was up here, and so I didn't even know it was raining until I saw all of your hair, all the wetness. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 13. We're continuing to work our way through the Psalms as a prompt for prayer. And we come now to Psalm 13. Four times in this short psalm, King David asks the Lord, how long? This means, of course, that it is a lament psalm filled with questions and yet also with grand answers because Psalm 13 gives us also great hope, great triumphant joy. This is a power-packed explosively small bundle of a psalm with a harrowing beginning and an exultant ending. So follow along as I read this short psalm. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I, tr- but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As I said, a very short psalm, but one that captures so many emotions I think this psalm can be divided into three distinct sections, uh, each of them in two verses. So verses 1 and 2, we find the cries for help, the cries for help. And then in verses 3 and 4, the consequences of helplessness, the consequences of helplessness. And then lastly, in verses 5 and 6, the causes to hope, the causes to hope. First, the cries for help, verses 1 and 2. Secondly, the consequences of helplessness, verses 3 and 4. And then thirdly, the causes to hope, verses 5 and 6. I think these three sections can also guide us in our prayer time tonight as well. So let's look first at verses 1 and 2 and what we call the cries for help. You notice, as I said, four of the how long statements are being used by David here. These are the cries of a despairing soul. If there was ever a psalm that speaks of great despair, this is it. How long? 
How long, O Lord? How long? How long? Four times in these two verses, David is just transparently asking Yahweh, why the spiritual distance between us? That's really what he's saying. Notice those first two cries in verse 1, and in essence what the king, David, is asking the Lord. He's saying something like this, it seems as though you've forgotten me, Yahweh. How long will you keep your distance from me? you hadn't thought of this already, doesn't this seem so reminiscent of what the Lord Jesus himself said to his heavenly Father on the cross? Turn over to Psalm 22 and you can see this. If David is saying, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That's the cry, that's the plaintive wail of Psalm 22. The very first verse which Jesus uttered on the cross of Calvary, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. That's the kind of distance that David's experiencing right now. It was the kind of distance that the Lord Jesus was experiencing on the cross when the Father turned his face away so that Jesus could die for sinners like us. And this is, this is the distance that David feels. And he feels that this is opposite of what was going on in Psalm 11. Do you remember Psalm 11? There David says in verse 7, if you remember this, that the believer will behold the face or the favor of the Lord. Psalm eleven seven. for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. The, the righteous person will see the favor of the Lord. He'll see the Lord place his face in the direction of the believer. That means God's favor, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy will be toward the righteous because God is looking upon the righteous. And we're beholding this face of the Lord. We're encouraged because he's seeing us. He's placing his favor upon us. But here, just a couple of psalms later in this arrangement of the Psalter, David is saying the opposite. How long, O Lord? You're forgetting me. You're hiding your face from me. He's crying out to God precisely because he's not seeing God's favor. He's not seeing it. He's not seeing the face of God. And that's, I think, why he's added here, I don't see your face. I, I don't see your goodness. I'm not experiencing that right now. Willem van Gemmeren, great commentator on the Psalms, says about this particular Psalm, Psalm 13, the psalmist is alone and suffering in loneliness aggravates the anguish. Where are the blessings of protection, grace, and peace promised by the Lord? The psalmist is disturbed within himself 
He searches his thoughts as to what has happened. David's hurting. Verse 2 brings out the anguish of his soul. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? That phrase, all the day, is just a way of saying continually. All day, every day, all day and all night. My heart is in abject sorrow. How long will I have to take counsel in my soul? That's an interesting way of translating it. Uh, How long will I need to talk to myself in the despair of my soul? Come to me, Lord. Visit me. You say, what's going on in David's life? What's he experiencing? We don't know. We don't really know. Maybe there's a clue in verse 3. David's so vexed in his soul that he says this, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Maybe that's a clue. He's wrestling with his enemies. We don't know if it's verbal. We don't know if it's physical. We don't know if it's a time of battle. We don't know if it's uh, something that's happening in the king's court. Um, Maybe someone is trying to overthrow the throne. We don't know. The psalm is not clear enough in terms of the specifics, uh, whether David's specifically referring to his enemies in a battle, uh, his own personal fears about his rule or his reign, or something entirely different than these. And yet, regardless of the specifics, this psalm, I believe, can and does relate to all of us at one time or another, doesn't it? I mean, in one sense, you could probably say the specifics are left to us undetermined. For David, of course, he knew exactly what he was crying out to God for. But for us, it's undetermined, maybe because the flattening out of the psalm is so that you and I can put any vexation, any trouble, any sorrow in this psalm and be blessed by it. To be able to ask the same question of our God. Anything in our Christian lives where we felt abandoned by God's seemingly ever-present help in times of trouble. You know, the book of Hebrews says that, that our God is there in a time of trouble and we can go to him, the throne of his grace. But there is at times the sense that even though we know that truth, even though we know that God is there, even though we know that he is for us and that no one can be against us, we still, we still feel the, the distance, right? Where is God? I saw a crocheted uh, framed um, thing on a wall one time that said, if you don't feel God uh, close to God, guess who moved? Well, that's true, but sometimes it's also true that we don't feel close to God. And we are anxious, fearful. And I suppose, as I said, this is partly why Psalm 13 is in the Psalter to begin with, because it doesn't tell us the specifics. Another commentator says it this way, there is no information in the psalm or in the account of the life of David that would tell us what event this psalm reflects. The fact that it was deposited in the sanctuary for the Levitical choirs to sing indicates that it was written for the purpose of encouraging other afflicted believers 
who felt abandoned by God and at their wit's end and not simply to remind people of an event in the psalmist's life. That's true. You could even say it maybe this way. Regardless of the circumstances with David or with anybody else, I have my own personal circumstances. I'm hurting and I'm asking the question, God, where are you? That's why I think this psalm is so very valuable for us as Christians. Because of regardless of the circumstances in anyone's life, the circumstances in our life is what is most pertinent to us, what is most important to us. We, we need to feel what the psalmist is feeling, even if we don't know what the psalmist is going through. And in a sense, the psalm mirrors what we're going through, even if the psalm itself doesn't know what we're going through. Alec Matir said, periods of anxiety are something we all have to learn to deal with. And Psalm 13, for all its brevity, is a marvelous instruction. We know beyond question that Yahweh will never forget us. But the plaguing thought arises that maybe our sins and failures have so alienated him that he has withdrawn his favor. How long, O oh Lord? How long? How long? That's really a kind of prayer, isn't it? It's a kind of prayer question. How long? How long? How long will this distance, this forgetting, this sorrow, even if my enemy appears at the moment to be exalting over me, it's a, it's a it's a kind of prayer question. It's a kind of cry. That's why I called it the, the cries of a man who wants answers. And then secondly, look at the consequences of helplessness in verses 3 and 4. Here's what he says about the how longs of his life. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You know, if you are, for any length of time in your Christian life, a, an ardent studier of the Scripture, you want to see certain clues about how to interpret the Scripture as best you can, you notice the four how-longs, in the first two verses. Now look in verses three and four, and what word do you see repeated three times? Lest. So you have how long, how long, how long, how long in verses one and two, and here in verses three and four, you have lest, lest, lest. There's a kind of rhythmical pattern there, isn't it? So he's saying, how long, Lord, lest these things come to pass. How long will it be, Yahweh, lest these things overtake me permanently, forever, is the assumption. And even if David doesn't believe that, it's, it's still real. It's, it's still looking as though it's going to be happening. It's looking as though these things will occur. And so he says, with... Um, Three things. This is, this is quite interesting. He gives three imperatival requests of the Lord. 
according to verse 3. Notice the first one, consider, consider. Or it could be translated as look, which is so interesting because he's already said in verse 1, Lord, it's looking as though you're hiding your face from me. And now he's saying, look, look, Father. You know, that's the, the picture in my mind that's evoked of, of a father turning away from the son who is sitting in his lap, and the little boy takes his hands, and he takes his father's cheeks, and he moves his father's face so that the father is directly seeing the eyes of his son in trouble. You see that picture in your mind? It's almost as though David is saying, Look, Lord. Look, my God. Look, Yahweh. And he believes that Yahweh may have hidden his face. He's looking away and he's asking the Father, look on me with favor. Consider. Consider my situation. Consider what's going on. Consider my groaning, my tears, my question marks. How long, how long, how long, how long? And then he says, consider and answer me. This is not a, it's not a sense in which David is making some kind of a sinful demand. He's simply saying, here's my request, Lord. Here's, here's my hope. Here's what I want. Here's what I'm desperately seeking, that you'll answer me. You'll give me relief from my calamity, whatever it is. Could, could be, you know, the enemies are, are right there at the door, Yahweh. Answer me. Please consider and please answer. And then he says, thirdly, light up my eyes. <laughs> As though, God, I need your, your lightning. I need you to turn on the light so I can see the situation in a better way. I need to see it from your perspective. Give me relief. Give me protection. This is a, this is a way that the Old Testament is telling us God, give me insight to the situation. Uh, give me an enlightenment. Look over at uh, Psalm 36, and you'll see this kind of metaphor of uh, lightening up the eyes, uh, sort of brightening the situation so that we can truly understand. It says in Psalm 36, for instance, verse 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. In other words, you are coming through. You are answering. You are giving us what we believe we really need to be sustained in this life. And then notice verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. Life. In your light do we see light. Yes. Lord, I, I need your light. I need you to, to help my countenance. Take my eyes and, and open them and place your light into my eyes so that I can see the truth, so that I can understand the circumstances. And you want to see some of the uh, opposite pictures of the dimness of the eyes, where there's more darkness, where you can't see, where it's cloudy. Look at Psalm 6. 
Psalm 6, this powerful metaphor in the opposite direction. Psalm 6, verse 6, David says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. The situation is dimming. The light's going out. I, I need you. I, I need your direction. I need to understand your purposes. Psalm 38.10 says it this way. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. And David says, light up my eyes. He prays this way. Why does he pray this way here in Psalm 13? Here's the first lest. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. That's just a way of saying, lest I die. Lest, lest I come to my end. So, Lord, I'm asking you, how long, how long, how long, how long? I, I'm, I'm, in a sense, not demanding, but I'm asking in the most sincere and yet in the most urgent way, consider, look, answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I die. I, I don't want to die. I don't want to be overtaken by death itself in this condition. I want to be triumphant. Then he says in the second lest in verse 4, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. And you might even, you know, you might even hear David saying something like, uh, lest the enemy gloats. Unless the enemies of Yahweh, not just the enemies of David, not just the enemies of Israel, but the enemies of God himself. Don't let them gloat over us. And then that third lest, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So he pours out his heart to the Lord for deliverance, for mercy. These are the these are the consequences of, of helplessness. I mean, can you imagine? Just inject your situation in there, either now or something you may have experienced in the past. Lord, consider this lest. Lord, answer me lest. Lord, give me enlightened eyes lest. Dot, dot, dot. Right? All of us have gone through it. And cheer up. If you haven't, you will. You're going to go through it. It's going to happen. Whatever it is. And it may not just be once, of course. It may be multitudes of time where the dimness of your eyes is clouding your vision. You don't quite know what's going on. There are going to be some lests in your life. You're going to come up against something and you're going to ask God to consider the situation, to answer, to light up your eyes, lest, lest, lest. These are the characteristics of helplessness. That's really what David's saying. I'm helpless. I'm helpless without you. And isn't, isn't that exactly where God wants us to be? Helplessly dependent. I suspect there are times 
where we receive the consequences of helplessness because we've tried to go it alone without him? We've tried to deal with the situation without his counsel, without his care, without his help. And he's let us descend to the place where we're looking around and our vision has been dimmed. We don't see the enlightening eye of a faithful future. And we're in deep trouble. And this is exactly where God wants us because we've trusted in ourselves. We've trusted in our own circumstances. We've trusted in our own wisdom. We've trusted in our own resources. And he's saying, I'm letting you go down as far as your dim eyes can see in the clouded future. And I'm suggesting to you, this is why you've gotten yourself into the trouble that you have. And all of us should say, consider Lord, look, please turn your face toward me. Answer me. Light up my eyes, lest these things happen for good. And right at the brink, right when you and I think that the worst has come, we see thirdly the causes to hope. Look at verse 5. Notice that little contrast word there. What's the first word in the text? But. But. No matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter even if my vision is dimmed to what appears to be the last possible way to see clearly through the situation, David says, but. And this is so rhythmical. This is so beautiful, this Hebrew poetry. Look at what he does. He he rhythms out three responses within these two verses, which then cause David to get his answer, to gain his desired answer. Look at the first three. Look at the verbal ideas. Look at what David's response is to all the trouble, all the circumstances, and here's what he says. I have trusted, my heart shall rejoice, I will sing to the Lord. Do you see that? You have three things. You have what he says he's doing in response to all of the trouble, to all of the how longs, to all of the lests. And he says three times, I have trusted, my heart shall rejoice, I will sing to the Lord. That sounds to me like three phenomenal opportunities to look at the Lord to ponder his ways, to think about his character, and say, I don't care how bad things get. Here's what I'm going to do. I have trusted. That means David is is in the midst of trusting. He places his faith squarely in Yahweh, his God. I have trusted. You could um, maybe make a little paraphrase of the text. No matter what, I have trusted. No matter what. I think that's why the but is there, the contrast. How long, how long, how long, how long, lest these things happen, lest these things happen, lest these things happen, but I have trusted and I will continue to trust. 
And then he says, my heart will rejoice. My heart will rejoice. He chooses to to rejoice in God. It's a choice of David's. My heart shall rejoice. And then he says, I will sing to the Lord. This is a psalm, right? This is a song. I will choose to sing to the Lord. And he sings in response to God's goodness. So those are, those are three very, very practical ways to look at our circumstances, to look at all of the problems, to look at all the how-longs, to look at all of the potential lasts of life and say, I trust, I rejoice, I sing. And by the way, in what does David trust? He says, I have trusted. In what does he trust? In your steadfast love. See the rhythmical nature of this? I have trusted, my heart shall rejoice, I will sing in your steadfast love, in your salvation, because you've dealt bountifully with me. See how it just rhythmically flows in this, um, this triadic act of David worshiping God. I have trusted in your steadfast love, in your covenant love. That's that beautiful and oft-repeated phrase in the Hebrew Bible, the hesed, the covenant love of God. Steadfast love, sometimes translated mercy. And David says, I don't care how bleak it gets, I'm going to trust in your steadfast love. I'm going to claim, I'm going to bank on your love. You love me. That's what I'm trusting in that your covenant love is going to come true in my situation. And then what what does he say? Secondly, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. In your salvation. I suspect in this particular instance where he's talking possibly about enemies, whatever the circumstances are, it could be translated in your deliverance. You're You're going to deliver your people. You're going to deliver me. I'm going to rejoice in your salvation. And then he says, finally, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the proclamation of his song because Yahweh has been so good to him. Is this, is this your prayer to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Lord, you've been so good to me. How can I question you? How can I question your goodness when you have dealt so bountifully with me? You've been so good to me. No wonder my heart wants to sing. No wonder I want to rejoice. No wonder I trust. Even in the midst of the how-longs and the lests of life. I mean, this is a six-verse psalm that's so short, but that is so wonderful a prayer to God, isn't it? Let's do that. Let's pray to God right now. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, blessed Holy Spirit, the triune God, 
all of us at some point or another either have or will the experience of the how longs. How long, O Lord? Whatever the circumstances are, whatever the situation may yield, we're going to have those. And it is going to be such a temptation for us to become bitter, angry, vengeful, spiteful. We're going to become sullen. We may even move that into being uh, someone who questions even the very goodness of God because it's not happening to me right now, right when I believe I need it in the worst way. But Lord, you have assured us by this very psalm, which is your word, this song of our hearts, how Christians can sing and proclaim that even though there are the how longs and they will come and they shall be sustained or so it seems in our hearts, maybe forever, with even the lests of life, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest the enemies prevail over me, lest my foes rejoice because I'm downturned, shaken. Lord, we choose to do what David not only says but does here. I trust. I rejoice. I sing. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you for your salvation deliverance. Thank you for your good bounty. How can we do anything else but trust, rejoice, and sing? Lord, as we move into our corporate prayer time, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for what it does for our souls and for what we can do now to pray this psalm back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.